Thanks, Mary and Brad, for leading us this morning. Powerful time of worship. And so much going on. Guys, we're going to catch up. We're going to know the final score uh, once we get to tomorrow night for the ladies, how many they had. They're, 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 they're going over 200 already. Is that crazy? <laughs> ladies, 200? That's insane. You know, it took us like a year to have uh, 200 people on a Sunday, and that was pretty amazing back then. 200 women, more than 200 women are going to fill this room tomorrow night. And so, ladies, we're thrilled for you. We're going to pray for you before this service is over. Guys, we're at 120 or so. But we've got an extra week. We're going to pick it up. You don't want to miss the barbecue night, Francis Chan. We don't have any make and takes. I'm not sure what that is. I have not Googled it. Um, but we've got food that's awesome. We've got inspiration from Francis Chan and a great time just to, to do what guys do. And I don't even know what that is, but we're going to do it. So be here. How many of you enjoy leftovers? Like enjoy leftovers. All right. How many of you put up with leftovers? It's sort of, you know, your roommate or significant other, your spouse. They're just like, hey, this is what, this is what we're doing. And we all know there, there are some things that are awesome leftover. I think Italian food's amazing leftover. French fries are on the not so amazing leftover list. Has anybody ever figured out a way to heat up leftover? No, it's terrible. Well, when, when Sean and I first got married, leftovers were a point of contention for us. It wasn't that she was pro-leftover, though she was, and I was anti-leftover. I was just ignorant about leftovers. I grew up in a family of six, and best I can remember, we never... My dad's going to watch this podcast. Dad, I just don't remember. Maybe that you took it to work because you're so generous. But um, I don't remember ever having leftovers in the home that I grew up in. And it wasn't because we threw the food away. There just was nothing left over. Anybody ever live... Anybody grow up in that home? So we get married, and she's like, we're having leftovers. I'm like, I've heard of steak, pork, you know chicken. I've never heard of the meat leftovers. You know, I don't I have no idea what's going on here. And so that was a little, little back and forth. I've embraced leftovers, you know, uh, because before I got married, Shauna's grandfather told me, Ben, in marriage, you can be happy or you can be right. I've chosen happiness for the better part of <laughs> our marriage. And when I choose right, uh, that's not so much happy. But um, that's what her grandfather told me. Um, but when it comes to leftovers, some of you, more, more than at 930 in this service are okay and even enjoy leftovers. But none of us would choose leftovers if we had the option to have something new and fresh and it didn't cost anything, right? Point in case. How many of you, when you see Krispy Kreme, you're looking for one thing? In fact, you don't even stop unless one thing is on a Krispy Kreme. What is it? The hot sign. Now, some of you elitists are like, I don't eat those things. Ben, do you know what are in those things? It's bad for the church. You've got your vice too, all right? But would you want one that was just coming off the conveyor belt? And if you don't know conveyor belt Krispy Kreme, you need to go to Daily City before the day ends. Check that out if the sign's on. Would you want one that's hot or would you want one that's been sitting on my counter for the last week? Now, the beautiful privilege of being at the 11 o'clock service, I couldn't give my donuts away if, you, if they were at 930, but because 11 o'clock, they actually were both purchased in the last 24 hours. Anybody want donuts? Come on, you gotta be quick though. Yeah, you gotta be fast. Hey, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give this man. He's gonna get the whole one. You two kids are gonna get the half one. Okay, everything's safe. I know your parents said Halloween. Don't eat the candy unless it's open, prepackaged. It's all good, mom, dad. It's all just give it to him. All right. Next, we have how many of you would want an unopened vitamin water, 20 ounces? I think yeah, 20 ounces. Seal's never been broken. It's awesome. It's straight from the factory. It's good. You can trust it. Or you would want what's left of this one, half of which is the saliva from one of our production team members. True story. <laughs> All right, we don't have another service, so anyone that wants the vitamin water, just don't spill it, okay? We don't, I need, you gotta be quick, Baldo. You gotta be fast. Yep. I've got another one. <laughs> Chad, I don't know what the deal is, man. You'll, that is awesome. Oh boy, oh! We almost got it to him. 
You're great. Here's the thing. Most of us don't left, enjoy leftovers if we had another option. And if you were having a distinguished guest coming into your home, someone that you weren't so comfortable and like you weren't, you know, deep, close friends for a long time, but a distinguished guest is coming into your home, how many of us would serve them leftovers? Don't raise your hand. All right, I'm just like not taking that invitation, not taking that invitation. All right, that's, I know I'm not a distinguished guest. I totally get that. None of us would do that. And yet in our lives, some of us, when it comes to how we use our resources, we're giving God leftovers rather than the best. And here's a couple caveats I want you just to feel some freedom with this morning. For starters, the bulk of what I'm going to say for the rest of our time this morning is for those of us here at Epic who are trying to live out, we believe, the vision God's given us to orient our entire lives around Jesus. So we've been in the starting point series, and it's anybody like anybody feel like you're just getting sucker punched week after week with this? Yeah, you should look at it for the whole week. Um, so we did marriage two weeks ago. We did sex last week. The sex talk uh, was the most responded to talk we've given in the five years since Epic's been in existence. So I've spoken more than 220 times here at Epic, and uh, that was the talk we got far more response. I didn't say it was all good, just response, you know what I mean? Um, So it was fun to hear about how small groups were fleshing that out. And today what I want to talk about is generosity. Again, this is a message primarily for those of us who are trying to orient our lives around Jesus, and we're part of the community here at Epic. But if that's not a category you're in, or you're not in either one, or you're, you're not even in, you know, you're not in both of them. What I want to say to you is keep leaning in, eavesdropping our, our conversation, and I want you to understand our motivation behind generosity being a massive value for us here at Epic. I want you to really get the heart behind, the why, what our motivation is behind why generosity. We continue to say, God, if, if one of the best things that could happen in this community is for you to unlock generosity all throughout it, because when we unlock generosity, we grow spiritually, and we're able to contribute to what God's up to in the world. So it's like two birds with one stone, and it's a significant stone. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Now, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, I think it might surprise you when it comes to the starting point, the series title, the starting point of our generosity. When it comes to the starting point for generosity in our lives, we are recipients, not donors. And if you don't get this, nothing else is going to make sense. Everything else will feel like responsibility. It will feel like duty. It will feel like have to. If you don't get this, nothing else is going to make sense the rest of the message. When it comes to generosity in the kingdom of God, we are first, the starting point for us in terms of generosity, we are recipients, not donors. It is God who creates us. It is God who knits us together in our mother's womb. It is God who creates us in his image. It is God who bestows blessing after blessing upon us. It is God who puts us in a community like this. It is God who starts a church that you can be a part of and I can be a part of like this. It is God who gives us Jesus. So when it comes to the starting point for generosity, we are recipients, not donors. And if you don't get this, then when you go to the part where you're you're the one giving everything's off or it just feels like a weight that you don't want to carry and I don't want to carry so first things first when it comes to generosity the starting point is you are a recipient I am a recipient okay and for so many of it when us when it comes to the use of our resources the use of our money generosity for so many of us isn't a starting point it's more like the ending point it's more like perhaps I'll be generous if there's anything left over in so many ways, you and I are not like God. Everybody knows that, right? Anybody need, like, you can stand on the stage, tell us about yourself, we'll tell you how you and God are different. But here's a way we're similar to God. While we would want the first and best rather than leftovers, so does he. And he's more worthy of it than we are. 
So that's the big idea behind today's talk. Now, we're going to be in Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, if you have a Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Just keep your hand up. Yeah, I want you to be able to see this. You'll see it on the screen. But if you, if you ask for a Bible, you'll get one. Just a way that I can show you what it looks like with this whole first and best principle in God's eyes. Now, here's the theme of Malachi. The major theme of Malachi is that God's people were not giving God their best Not only were they not giving God their best, they were giving God their worst. There's a big difference between second best and worst, okay? They weren't just not giving their best. They weren't giving their second best. They weren't giving the average. They were giving the worst thing they could to God in lots of different ways. Chapter 2 is all about how they gave their worst in their relationships. But chapter 1 is all about how they gave their worst in terms of their offerings, what they offered to God. So stand with me. I want us to see chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, as well as we'll slide down to verse 14. And again, just continue to think about, okay, generosity in my life, it starts with me being a recipient. It starts with me being a recipient. And the same is true for God's people. So a prophet, this prophet Malachi, spoke on behalf of God to the people of God to convey a message from the heart of God. Here's what God says. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. By saying that God doesn't care. Verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. Now verse 14. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared, revered among the nations. You may be seated. Again, I want us to get this sense. So God is saying, and here's what's crazy. It's not just God's people. The Israelites who are bringing God less than their best, bringing their worst, it's the priests. It's the ones who are employed in the service of God to represent God to the people and to represent the people back to God. And the priests are looking at what's at their disposal. And rather than bring the spotless male lamb that God had asked for when it came time for their offering and their sacrifice, they're bringing the worst. And they're thinking God's cool with it. Right? It's like those of you that feel good about yourself when you drop clothes you wouldn't wear ever again in your life at Goodwill. Anybody else besides me? Anybody? Like, I'm just like, I am so generous. I was never going to wear that shirt again, but somebody's going to enjoy it. I am so generous, right? And that, that's how we do it. So that's kind of what they were doing with God. They were like, hey, we're bringing you the blind animal. You're good with this, right? And they assumed that he was. And he's like, listen, that's not the case. He said in verse 8, would you present this to your distinguished guest if the governor was your guest? Would you present this to your governor? And of course, they know the response, just the same response as you. None of us in this room are serving leftovers to a distinguished guest that comes into our home. Those of you that can cook, you're cooking. Those of us that can't cook are ordering, right? I'm more in the ordering camp. That's the whole idea. He's like, you would never give this to the governor, and yet you want me to accept it. You want me to go, hey, this is awesome. And they have forgotten something that is a principle when it comes to whatever it is involving God. God always wants our first and best rather than our leftovers. 
Whatever it is, when it comes to your work, he wants your best. When it comes to your relationships and marriage, he wants your best. When it comes to how you raise your kids, when it comes to how you serve in this church, in this community, and in the world, he wants us to give our best. And the same is true when it comes to our resources. God always, every time, you don't have to wonder, what does he want? He wants our first and best. In verse 14, you see a principle emerge out of Malachi chapter 1. It's this, it, it, the word is, cursed is everyone who has a male in their flock and doesn't offer it. Here's a beautiful thing we can know. God never asks us to give something back to him that he hasn't already given to us first. And given back to, depending on how you understand this, it all goes back to God eventually. So if you're like, Ben, God didn't earn this money for me. He didn't give it to me. I earned it because I'm awesome. You are awesome, but how did you get to be awesome? Well, I went to this college and I killed it in the Ivy League. That's great. We can't spell your school, but still, you're not responsible for how you got into that. You're like, no, Ben, I have amazing parents. Okay, how did you get the chromosomes that you did? How did you get the DNA that's lining your body right now? How did you get it? No matter how far you and I want to go back, at the end of the day, we're going to say, wait a minute, down the line, it actually does all derive from one source, God himself. James says it like this, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. So he says to his people, hey, I'm not asking you to give what you don't have. I'm asking you to give what you do have, what I've already given to you. How many of you growing up bought birthday presents or Father's Day, Mother's Day gifts for your parents? Nobody would admit it right now, right? I didn't have a job. Maybe you did. But in order for me to get my dad a Father's Day gift, my dad had to give me the money to get him a Father's Day gift. Anybody else? Right? And now my kids do that. And they're like, and I'm, you know, and they give it to you. And I'm like, man. How much money did that take out of my bank account? You know what I mean? Um, But that's all we can do with God. All we can do with God is give him back what he's given to us. One fascinating thing about this, just kind of as an add-on for those of you that might find yourself in a trivia pursuit game soon, um, Jesus's family, when it came time for them to make the sacrifice after Jesus was born, they couldn't afford the animal. So God had made provision. If you can't afford it, then you bring two doves or two pigeons, right? So he would have never said to Mary and Joseph, hey, when you offer your firstborn, when you consecrate your firstborn, I need you to bring this animal. He knew, though he was the lamb of God, his family didn't have a lamb. So God's never going to say, hey, I want you to give back to me something I've never given to you first. No, receive it, your recipient first. And then what we do is we have this pattern of giving back to God. You leave out the word back, it becomes duty rather than joy when it comes to generosity in your life. Same for me. Same for me. That's true for all of us. God always wants our first and best. And there's this principle that emerges all throughout the scriptures consistently. And it's the principle known as the first fruits principle. First fruits. And so they're living, their commodity really is their crops, grain, vegetables, fruits. And so whenever they were to give of the first fruits back to God, it, would, it was literally fruit, okay? That's not the case for most of us, right? I mean, when the black offering buckets are passed at the end of the service, most of you aren't dropping in oranges or grain, right? That would be amazing. Many, can we take that? I don't even know. Um, But back in their world, that was their commodity. Our commodity isn't that. Our Our fruit, our produce is a paycheck, right? It's a paycheck. That's what our... Here's what Proverbs 3, 9 says about this idea of honoring God with the first fruits rather than leftovers. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Again, your produce is a paycheck. It's not likely, there may be some farmers in the room, but it's not likely that your produce is apples or oranges or uh, or grain or or something like that. Our produce comes in the form of a paycheck. But the same idea, it's what the work that you produce produces a paycheck. And this is what, this is what, we think about in terms of the first fruits principle. Now, the idea of the tithe that maybe you've heard about before, and I'll share a few moments about that in a moment, but the tithe derives from this first fruits principle. That's where it derives from. And just so you know, just so we're clear, the tithe shows up before the law. Look at the life of Abraham. 
Um, in fact, do you know even with Cain and Abel, the reason God didn't accept one of their offerings was because it wasn't the first fruits, it was the last fruits or leftovers? Seriously, like the, right off the bat in the pages of Genesis, you'll see that, that idea emerge. But the tithe shows up before the law. You see with Abraham giving a tenth of what he's produced. It shows up with the law, absolutely with Moses. And then Jesus references back to it as something that should be a consistent pattern in our lives today. He says there are more weightier matters, but you should not have neglected the tithe. So um, it's hard to get away with going, oh, I don't see it. I don't see it. Or is it still there? It's like, yeah, pre, in, after. It's there. It's there. And the tithe is 10%. Aren't you glad if you're not a math whiz that God chose a number that's pretty easy? Can you imagine? Now, if some of you want to go above and beyond and try like 27%, awesome, kill it. Um, but God chooses this number that is like, makes sense. Okay, I've got 10. Here's one. The tithe is 10%. But it's not only any 10%. It's the first 10%. I, uh, I wanted to do this illustration, so I went to the ATM today. I was planning to get 10 $20 bills, and the ATM shot out four fifties. Ruined my tithing illustration. So I had to steal the parking money when I got to church. Seriously. I'll give it back. Minis, I'm good for it. All right, 10 $10 bills, $100. All right, we're going to start easy, and then we're going to go to the challenge question for extra credit. Out of $100, what's the tithe? What's 10%? First fruits. $10. Which one is it? Is it this guy or this one? It's the first one that leaves my hand. First fruits. All throughout the scriptures. So many Christians that I have talked to and even how my practice was early on, and especially as an adult, we tend to think of this first fruits giving, the tithe, as um, the ceiling when it comes to our giving, when it's really more like the floor. I thought it was the end all, and so I was like, Sean and I, next month, we'll celebrate 15 years of marriage. I mean, if we make it, right? You know, we've got 45 days, sir, and then if we get it, we're... Yeah, so if she, 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 she deserved like a standing ovation, but nonetheless... Um, and for the entire 15 years, we've been giving first fruits, 10%. And I was like, hey, this is awesome. Like, we've made it to the very end of our goal. But then five years ago, I began to realize, wait a minute, that's not a ceiling, Ben. That's the floor. So five years ago, as God would lead us and as we would talk about it, by the way, if you're married, you need to talk about these things for sure. Don't assume one. Um, she and I decided to start giving above and beyond 10% of our gross income. Not to say look at us, just to say, hey, we have seen God bless us and we have seen God provide for us and we want to be a part of what God's up to in the world. And so that's been a habit for us over the last five years. And we look forward to having that conversation as every year ends saying, hey, what do we think God's stretching us in terms of generosity this next year? And God continues to be faithful and he continues to provide for us. And I think you'll see the exact same thing. But when it comes to the tithe or it comes to first fruits giving, I'm making a predetermination that whatever comes in this year, whatever doesn't come in, 10% of that, of first fruits, I'm going, we're going to give it back to God. And then I told you, we've added on to that percentage. We keep spreadsheets and it's a little, I'm a little nerdy with it, all right? But um, it's helpful. Google Doc is helping me out in terms of how to allocate resources and things like that. But we're making a predetermination. We're not saying, hey, let's get to the end of the month and see if there's anything left. Nor are we waiting for the black bucket to be passed on Sunday going, hey, do I happen to have a couple of bucks to tip God with this week? We're making a predetermination. Now, when it comes to first fruits giving, let me give you a few reasons why those of us who don't practice this don't practice it. One is that I don't make enough to give in that way. I don't make enough to give in that way. Another similar but very different is I make too much to give that much. People want to say, Ben, do you know what 10% of this really big number is? To which I'm like, yes. Do you know what 90% of that really big number is? It's still a really big number, right? 
But here's where most of us are, if I can just be honest. Most of us have found a way to have peace of mind about this. We see it in the scriptures, this idea of being generous, people being commended. And here's how we've found to have, I think, in in some ways, an artificial peace of mind about this. Many of us have excused it by living with a one-day-win philosophy as we approach generosity. I will be generous when... I will be generous when my student loans are paid off. I will be generous when the kids are out of the house. I will be generous after I buy my first house. I will be generous once I get the promotion. I will be generous in retirement. I will be, and then we're dead. You see, it's never easy to start being a first fruits giver, but let me tell you this. I'm going to make sure I read it just to make sure I don't miss it. There will never be an easier time than now to trust God with your money. Like Ben, now is not an easy time, right? And easy is not coming. So what I want to do as a favor for you, though, I feel like it's gut-wrenching at times. I want to pull out that one-day-win rug from your life. Because you, like me, sometimes I fool myself so that I can have a, a momentary peace of mind about something when the reality is, no, there will never be an easier time than this moment for me to make the right decision about my relationship, about how I serve, about how I do my work, about how I lead my family, and about what I do in terms of generosity. There will never be an easier time. No matter how difficult this time is, there will never be an easier time. That's why I love that my kids are getting this early on in their lives, right? Um, like, they're trying to figure out what is 10% of a dollar seventy-five a week. I'm like, I don't know, but I know it's 17 and a half. You can't do that. But if you go 17, you are not giving your first fruit. You understand? <laughs> Just kidding. But it's amazing to see that. And so that when their $1.75 becomes one day 17500 and then on another day $175,000, if God should bless them in that way, they've already got a habit built in that's going to continue them being first fruits giver. When I may, may become a first fruits giver, I'm always going, I'm predetermining. Whatever happens, whatever happens, this is what I'm going to live out. You know, if, um, if I talked about money and possessions as often as Jesus did, I would have to speak on it about every three weeks. Isn't that crazy? Anybody want me to? Good. I, I, I would have to resign if you asked me to. Um, but I did find this out. After teaching on marriage and sex, money talk is a little easier. So it gets, it gets a little bit easy from week to week. It's like, oh, this breeze, a breeze. But Jesus didn't talk so much about money and possessions because he cares so much about your money. He talked about it so much because he cares so much about you. But he knows that your money always follows what you treasure. He said this on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is and your treasure and your treasure and your treasure and your treasure and my treasure, there your heart is also. Ben's heart always flows to what Ben loves most. And you can look at my bank statement and my credit card statement and see what my heart flows to most. You're like, Ben, I didn't know you were passionate about dance class for a 10-year-old and braces. Okay, my heart flows sometimes toward what my kids are most passionate and treasure and my wife treasures most, but you get the whole point. It, It always indicates it. And we can always go, oh, I've got a reason why, I've got a reason why, I've got a reason why. But, but God's not so much interested in raising money as he is interested in raising his kids. And he knows one of the best things for your spiritual development is for you to, to move into being a first fruits generous giver. When I give, I'm giving away my selfishness. When I give, I'm breaking the power of materialism in my life. When I give, I'm freeing myself from the grip of greed that has had me and so many of us in this room before. We're freeing ourselves. And the amazing thing is so cool to me is that the thing that helps us grow spiritually is also the thing God uses to do his work in our church, in our city, and in the world. Isn't that amazing? It's like two birds with one stone. Every time I give, I'm becoming more like Jesus, and the work of Jesus is moving forward in some way. Isn't that awesome? 
Like every time I go, hey, God, here you go, here you go. You've been so generous to me, here you go. And God's going, hey, I can use that. I can extend that. I can multiply that, Ben. I want to do a work in Epic Church, in the city, and in the world. Boom. It's incredible. Just so you know, you're not only a recipient of generosity from God, but every one of us in this church, we are a recipient of 20 churches and hundreds of people that before we even had a name, they were committing to give over a million dollars to this church. Now, will people in the future be able to sit in our generosity as we're sitting in the generosity from the past? Stuff matters. And, and here's the thing. God gifts us with so many things to use to further his kingdom. But our money is one of the greatest tools we've been given by God to do the most good on earth and in heaven. Our money is one of the greatest tools we've been given by God to make the most difference on earth and in heaven. However little or however, little, however much that is over a lifetime. And no, no, not to cause fear for me or you this morning, but every one of us who belong to God, we're going to give an account of what we did with what he gave to us. The idea is we are not owners. He's owner. We are managers or stewards. And there's going to come a moment. You can read parable after parable if you don't believe this is true, where there's going to be an account settlement. And he's going to go, hey, what did, Ben, what did you do? What did you do? How did you leverage it? And that's a, another value we have here at Epic. We leverage the temporary for the sake of the eternal. We leverage what we have now, but it's going away someday for what is never going away. We leverage what we have that's temporary. And if you pay rent in San Francisco, you know how temporary it is. Anybody? Right? Here today, gone today. <laughs> we leverage the temporary for the sake of, of the eternal. That, that's the principle that we've been called to live out. And we, we embrace this fully as a church. God's done amazing things through generosity just in this short five years we've been in existence. And I think he will continue to do more some ways in proportion to how generous this community becomes. So if you are giving of your first fruits, way to go. Keep trusting God. Maybe it's time, not saying, but maybe it's time to even ask God, hey, is there a next step in this? Scary question for Shauna and I asked a few years ago. I can always think about what this extra percentage or that extra percentage would help us in terms of our family. Of course. It's always a scary question, but we've always seen God to be faithful. We've always seen God provide. Here's what's crazy, and this is my thought process too, so you're not alone. Sometimes I think, okay, God gave me so much. He's blessed us. If I begin to do generosity his way, what if he quits blessing me? Do you see how faulty I am with that logic? But it's, it's in my heart. This when scarcity begins to pry up in my heart. Anybody else? This whole not enough, not enough, not enough thing. But how crazy is it for me to trust God with heaven, my eternity, my salvation, and not trust him with what is little to him called money? It's because I make it too big to me sometimes. And I make God smaller than he actually is. So I think money is this massive thing I've got to deal with. But if you've not been doing that, I want to encourage you to step into something we're offering today as a team here at Epic, a 90-day generosity challenge. Just saying for the next 90 days, I'm going to be faithful to give of my first fruits. The cool thing about today being November 1st, basically we're talking November, December, January, and just see what God might do with your spiritual development and with, with, with what he frees you from in this season. And so you can just mark down on your communication card, 90-day generosity challenge. We want to come alongside you with a few things that will be helpful. This book we're giving away today, Fields of Gold by Andy Stanley. Um, it's just this idea of how we can uh, live out generosity in so many different ways, certainly with our resources too. And then Minnie Lee, who's over generosity at Epic, she's going to create, she already has created an email system so that we come alongside you every couple of weeks, say, hey, want to encourage you. 
want you to persevere. I want you to endure. Remember, this is the way that God has called our pattern of giving to be. And so we want to come alongside you today. And, and you can get this book if you just bring that uh, communication card to the Connection Center at the end of our service. Or you can drop it in the bucket, but put a good address there. We'll mail you one, and the emails will start coming as well. Um, so that's what, that's what we want to offer you. Here's where I want everyone to tune in. Christians and non-Christians. Non-Christians, I gave you, you, you were off the hook for the last 25 minutes, but, but, but tune in. There was going to come a moment in history that was going to be God's offering moment. So every day at the end of a service here at Epic, we have this offering moment and we say, hey, God, what are we going to, are we going to be first fruits or leftovers? But there came a moment in history where God had an offering moment and he had to determine what kind of giver am I going to be? I mean, after all, we don't give him our best that he deserves. What's he going to give us if we don't deserve what he deserves? I want to show you the language Peter uses in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. I really want you to focus in on this moment. If you've not heard or even if you've been against some of the things that you've heard so far, here was God's offering moment. And Peter borrows language from the Old Testament to tell us what God did with his moment. He says this, knowing that you were ransomed, meaning that you were freed by a price paid, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. God's like, you know, silver and gold, those are worth a lot, highly valuable. I'm going above that. Here's what he says. Here's Here's what God's offering was, verse 19. The precious blood of Christ, hear the language here, think about Malachi 1, like that of a lamb without what? Blemish or... All right, I assume you all saw it. You were just thinking too much to participate. God, here's your moment. What do you want to give? You want to give us leftovers? You want to give us the crippled lamb? You want to give us the maimed lamb? You want to give us the sick lamb? You want to give us the blind lamb? God, what are you going to do? Because we don't stack up to what you deserve. So what what are you going to throw on us? What are you going to offer us? And the response should stun your heart. I'm going to give you my first and my best, the lamb of God without what? Blemish or spot. And because of that, he's made a way for you to be in a reconciled relationship to God. And to the degree that that doesn't move you, you need to keep looking at it. You need to keep gazing on it. We should be stunned, astounded, amazed at what Jesus has offered us. And when we see that, then generosity in our lives no longer becomes duty. It becomes joy. And we mirror back in a very small way the generosity that Jesus displayed when God made him his offering. You'll never be asked to give God anything close to what he gave you. You, you could be a multi-billionaire and you, you wouldn't come close. You could, you could go serve in a third world country the rest of your life and you'll never get close. You could feed every homeless person in the city and you'll never get close. I want to give you a few different responses today and it depends on kind of where you are, which response fits you. The first response is this one. If you're not a Christian, I just want you to hone in on one thing. Why not today become a recipient of this amazing offering God has given you in Jesus? Just receive. You've been invited to be a son or daughter of God. There's nothing you'll ever get that compares to that. So just become a recipient. For those of us who would say we're trying to orient our entire lives around Jesus, but we haven't been first fruits givers, I want to encourage you to take this 90-day challenge if you're part of this community. Simply just write that down. We're going to come alongside you and help out. 
Some of us, though, if we're honest, it's just a trust issue in our heart. We don't know if we do things God's way, if he'll take care of us. You're not the first to struggle with that. In fact, I think every one of us have struggled with it at some point in time. But let me just reference it again. If you're trusting God with providing an eternity with himself for you, it might make sense to trust him with what's so temporary. Fourth, and a number of us are in this camp, some of us need God to free us from materialism and greed. Some of us need to drop excuses. Some of us need to go, you know what? The one day win stuff has to go. I've got an issue and I need God to break me from it. But after I pray, the worship team's going to come up and lead us in a powerful worship set. We've got a communion table to my right up here. There's one about two-thirds of the way back on my right, your left. And we're invited to the table. And here's what I want you to think about. This is an invitation for all of us who've placed our faith in Jesus. A, I don't want us to come haphazardly or rush into this moment. One of the things that we know about communion is the scriptures teach us we should really consider. We should reflect. We should think through, hey, what does this mean? Where am I? Is there something that needs to be cleansed in me? And then as you come to the table during this worship set, I want you to think about it this way. When Jesus breaks the bread with his disciples and he says, this is my body, which will be broken for you. This is my father's offering. This is me giving my life for you. You know this verse, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he, he gave. He gave. He loved, so he gave. And he broke his body on the cross. And when you dip it into the cup, which represents the blood of Jesus poured out for you, I want you to think about this in that moment. It's, it's the table where you receive the generosity of Jesus. So we don't move into this flippantly, but graciously, thoughtfully. And when I am not a generous person in my life, I know that I need to come back and see the cross again. I need to get back in that recipient. Here's what's great. So I told you the starting point for your generosity is that you're a recipient, not a donor. But you might think, okay, but Ben, then I'll become a donor no longer recipient. Nope. The beautiful thing is that we never give up the recipient relationship. So we sang a moment ago, God, it's your breath in my lungs. Everybody's still breathing? That would be terrible if not. He's still being generous to you. He's offering you grace. He brought you here this morning. He's placed you inside a community that cares deeply about you and your well-being. So even as we become givers, we don't cease being recipients. Pray with me as we move into this response moment. God, I pray that you will do in our hearts what only you can do. But God, I'm convinced that we need to see Jesus clearly. When we do, generosity becomes a joy, not a burden. God, there are so many ways we can be generous. God, I pray for the people in this room that just need to become recipients today. They need to say, I'm stepping over the line of faith because I've seen what Jesus has done for me. Or, or the people who go, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming a first fruits giver today. Not a one day when, today. God, for the people who need to be able to trust you, I pray that they would see your goodness and trust you. God, for the people who need to be freed from a life of greed, materialism, scarcity. Jesus, we know that you can free us from all things, and I pray for those people. And Jesus, we thank you that you've invited us to come and taste your generosity in a real symbolic manner, picturing your death on the cross we receive from you. Thank you for being so generous to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's respond. Let's consider. Let's worship this morning.